Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today, oh, oh go, well, I was going to say Oh, that. well, go for it. And today we're going to talk about uh, repentance and conversion. But first, we have a quick mea culpa. That I must repent. Yes, that yeah. you must repent. Okay. Right. Well, I do have to repent. I've committed a sin, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thanks, Luke. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of our listeners pointed out, and I, I even have it written this way in the notes, and I have no idea why. It, I was just writing the notes, and then this is how it came out. I don't know. I don't agree at all with what I wrote, and I don't either. <laughs> and I don't know how we both <laughs> we happened to miss it. But yeah, the, on the last episode, we talked about uh, faith and. At the very end, I said faith precedes repentance, but that is very incorrect. No, regeneration. <laughs> oh, regeneration. Yeah, well, doesn't precede any of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're already screwing this up. <laughs> yes, so for clarification, the correct way to understand this is that repentance precedes logically. Regeneration. Regeneration logically <laughs> precedes faith. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Yeah, everyone's confused now. Uh, yeah. See, yes, it, you, there's a hitch in my brain. That's how it naturally comes out. Apparently, well, that's because we're right now completely thinking about repentance because that's what we're going to talk about. Oh, that's why. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, <laughs> but all that to say is, we do not believe that you first believe and then you're born again or or made alive by the Spirit. It's the Spirit regenerates you, and it's because of that that. You're given the gift of faith. Yes. yes. Now, how that works out in space and time is, I don't know. Contemporaneously. If you could, yeah, I don't think you can find a, you could actually cut the knife and say, at this point, I have not yet believed, but I've been regen. I mean, it, yeah. it occurs. But, but our theology determines that logically, regeneration precedes faith. Yes. So, but with that said, um, today we'll <laughs> continue on, probably or hopefully in a non-heretical fashion. Uh, where we are wor working through the doctrine of salvation. Uh, of course, last time, as I said, we talked about faith. Um, and today we want to talk about two topics. Uh, we want to talk about repentance and conversion. And it'll be a shorter episode today. Um, but these are very important doctrines to the issue of salvation. And so we're only going to touch on them lightly, though. Um, so to begin, repentance. Now, we did an episode on repentance uh, way back when. Um, yeah, you had to remind me of it. But that, that once you said it, I remember that, that it was based off of things you had said in your preaching through Luke, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I kind of just threw you questions and you answered them. Yeah. Yeah, and it was called Repentance Q&A. So that was probably a fuller, well, it wasn't a systematic theology. It was just dealing no. with issues on repentance. Well, yeah, it's the practical outworking of what that looks like. Yeah. So if you're looking for kind of a practical idea of what repentance looks like, that would be the podcast to go to. Here, all we're trying to do is establish some theological framework from yeah. which all of that will flow. Yeah, in that one we talked about— That made sense, yeah, right? Yeah, we talked about— um, 
that the two different kinds of repentance. That's right. what it was. There was that repentance unto salvation, and then a repentance unto sanctification, where you're now you, uh, the Christian is in the state of repenting. Yeah, where all that's it's in fact that's a mark of a true Christian yeah. is that you are consistently repenting. Yeah, exactly. So today we're going to talk about, as we always do, some key term terminology, and we're going to begin with the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament root or word, uh, root word for repentance is naham, with the guttural. Um, <laughs> say it again. That's just fun to say. Naham. So you say it better than I. I, I really let that guttural, naham. You clear I, the throat a little bit. Oh, more, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I try to make certain I get the most bang for the buck. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time it's acceptable doing that in public. Yeah. Uh, so this comes from Baker's Dictionary of Theology. Uh, it says, in the Old Testament, the verb repent occurs about 35 times. It is usually used to signify a contemplated change in God's dealings with men for good or ill according to his just judgment, or negatively to certify that God will not swerve from his announced pursuit. Um, and so it's used to speak of this word is used to speak of God um, relenting um, or also repenting. Um, it, it's that word that's used to, to change of mind. It's that one that I'll, everyone always has questions over. It's, how, you know, like when Moses pleads with God in Numbers 14, do not wipe out this nation. It says that God relents or repents. He, he changes his mind and right. chooses then not to wipe right. them out. Um, but then you also have, passages like 1 Samuel 15, 29, Psalm 110 and verse 4, that where it's talking about the fact that God will not repent or he will not relent. Um, the term is also used to speak of human repentance and human relenting, Exodus 13, 17, and others. You can find all these in the show notes. Um, but that that's kind of, that, that's one of the Old Testament terms that are used. And then a second one is the verb shuv. Um, and here's what the theological workbook of the Old Testament states. It says, the Bible is rich in idioms describing man's responsibility in the process of repentance. Such phrases would include the following. Uh, Incline your heart unto the Lord your God, Joshua 24, 23. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, Jeremiah 4, 4. Wash your heart from wickedness, Jeremiah 4, 14. Break up your follow ground, Hosea 10, 12, and so forth. All these expressions of man's the penitential activity, however, are subsumed and summarized by this one verb of shuv. For better than any other verb, it combines itself uh, the two requisites of repentance, uh, turn from evil, and then at the same time to turn to the good. Yeah, and that's the key, that's the key term for repenting. Yeah, it's a, it's a turning from something, but always to something. Right, and that's what the New Testament picks up. Um, Again, people do freak out over that. Whoa, God, God changed his mind. What's that mean? And uh, so the open theist sees on that. And all of a sudden, incredible heresy flows right. that there's like, see, God God thought one thing. And then he, as he continued to learn, he changed his mind because new information that he couldn't have known because man is a free agent, blah, 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 blah. In the um, process. Yeah. Right. And so, you know. Uh, he he relents or he repents, but that's always used in in an inter interrelationship between man and God. Um, we, we see it with like Jonah. 
uh, I remember when I preached to Jonah, and you know, he goes through, and it's I won't get into Jonah, and because it's not really part of the thing, but you know, Jonah, the question is, did he really just say in 40 days? God will destroy the Ninevites. And so many commentators simply say, well, no, we're only getting a summary of it. I'm like, I don't think so. I think he gave the bare minimum. I think he hated the Ninevites so much that he wasn't giving them squat. And and then we see them repent, and God relents. Right. And uh, so, and then he's angry. And now you get the theology that's behind the theology, if that will make sense, because now he's mad, right? And he's like, I knew it. I knew it. If I, you're, you're that kind of a God, and I didn't want your grace to come to these people. And so then he has this pity party. Then yeah. we have the whole plant growing, dying, and he gets rebuked. But the whole point of it is built into any of God's commands, what he reveals to you does not mean he's told you the whole story. Um, and there is this very real inter, very real interaction of God with His people, and there are these times where He relents, but it doesn't. That's all factored into the greater plan, exactly. Um, and that that I think people forget. And this this we dealt with the decrees of God, right? Yeah, yeah. And this gets into the eternal decree versus um, uh, the revealed. Decree. Yeah. We know what God has revealed, but we don't know what He has eternally decreed until it flows out. So, um, you want to be very careful because those few passages where we see Him relenting, um, those are almost always a narrative. Yeah, um, I remember I, when I when I did Hebrew exegesis back in seminary, I had to one of my I did a fifteen page paper, and it was a the entire thing was on the word Nacham. Do you remember just, just a when you study. thought a fifteen-page paper was a long thing? How long are your sermon notes? How many pages? Like fifty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hence why I don't publish them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have a stack on my desk. That I know it's like what two feet tall now. Yeah. Um, but I remember I had to do a word study, and I just traced out Nacham throughout the Old Testament and the various ways it was used. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's one of those, uh, for everything we've been saying, it's one of those that causes great concern or confusion to people because it's like, God, why does God, God can't change his mind. I thought he knows everything. Well, you always see it usually in a covenantal context um, where the covenant covenant stipulates that God must bring justice or wrath or execution based on this sin, and yet he relents. What doesn't mean he's not just, but what you see coming out is that merciful side of him, well, yeah. which is your point with Jonah. Is yeah. he's like, I knew you'd do that because you're a merciful God. So his relenting, his changing of his mind, is I've changed my mind not to blot you out, and instead I'm going to show the other side of me, which is mercy. And the other side of him is the other side of the covenant, right? Yes, hundred percent. Right, and yeah. and so all you're saying is that he's just. Be continuing to be faithful to the covenant promises that he's made. And so we, we ought not to marvel at those things. Uh, I, I always, the way I try to explain it um, to people, in fact, I think Grayson Gilbert, in, he's one of the blog writers for um, Chorus on the Chaos. I think he's the one that uh, just did a little post uh, recently about the fact that his kids will never enjoy a blessing that was theirs, but because of choices, um, they lost out. I think that's how he kind of uh, 
illustrated it, but it's the idea of, I always use this as a parent is, you know, you, you, you want to take your daughter and we're going to go get ice cream. And then she just decides to be a pill, right? She's going to be really disagreeable and disobedient. And you just, in your mind, you're like, You'll never even know that you could have, <laughs> you'll, you just won't. And then you'll also then see her broken and repent, right? I mean, and, and those will be the sweet times when you're like, all right, I think she gets it. And then all of a sudden, a whole different set of things start to unfold that she never even knew were going to be hers. Uh, but because she's now doing as she ought, they then kick in. And I, I try to use that as an explanation of how this regret, this regret or relenting kind of works with God. But yeah. I don't know if that helps people. Yeah, usually Naomi, confuses. she knows she's getting a discipline. She'll come up to me and she'll say, Papa, you mercy me. Oh, that's <laughs> kind of sweet. Papa, you mercy. <laughs> Apparently she told my mom one time, it's okay, Papa will mercy me. <laughs> it's like she doesn't understand that yet, does she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I literally sometimes arbitrarily choose to just show her mercy just because she i also want her to understand that grace it totally undeserved right you know even when she's not showing right more once in a while i'll choose to just randomly do that just to hopefully teach her something about grace but that's awesome that you're doing that though um that's just good parenting advice actually so you want to do some of these new testament um well first we should maybe give a couple of the verses that you pulled out on actually the word shuv. Okay, go for it. So in Psalm 80, verse 3, it says, O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Um, that There it's that restore uh, idea. Or Jeremiah 26, 3, where it says, perhaps they will listen and everyone will turn, there's a word, from his evil way, uh, that I may repent of the calamity which I am planning to do them because of the evil of their deeds. So those are a couple of key passages that will just be an illustration of the word. Um, now, from there, though, that that's it. I mean, repenting in the Old Testament, that's that's your it's it? terms. Yeah. Uh, so in the New uh, Testament, you, oh, you did it in transliteration, metal meta melomai right good job yeah um word group and so that one is going to be first of all um to feel remorse to become concerned afterward regret to change one's mind to think differently afterward these are coming from freiburg's lexicon um it doesn't necessarily mean that the person has actually shown genuine repentance right um it's an example of this would be in Judas uh, or with Judas in Matthew 27, 3, where it says, and then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And so there's that remorse, there's a regret, I shouldn't have done that, but the deed is done. Yeah. And, and it's mostly a, a feeling bad because you've been caught. Yeah. You're, you're sorrowful over the consequences. Yeah. Um, and again, that's why it talks about how this is a, re a regret after the fact. Right, right. So you have that, then you have a metanoeo, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that one is to literally change the mind. And that's the key one. Uh, when you consider this word, it relates back uh, to the Old Testament. You'll be seeing that it's consistently connected to 
our word shuv. Uh, it speaks of a turning around, a turning uh, back to God. It's an act that is placed upon mankind uh, as a responsibility. That's key for all to perform. And again, there's some examples that you can see in the show notes, like Matthew 3, 2. I mean, Christ shows up, John the Baptist, they're both announcing repent for the kingdom of God. But it's that mental, I remember my professor said, he's like, it it's always starts in the mind or heart, however you want to say it. And it's, it's a turning, a mental uh, turning and shifting from one thing to another. And, and so, but the thing that stood out, I remember him explaining, and it just made sense because I was struggling with some of this in my mind was he's like, you cannot, it is literally impossible for you to change, have a change of mind and not turn away from something. Right. You have to turn away from something. And, and so we tend to think of repenting more of that turning away, but really the Bible emphasizes it's not the turning away as much as it's the turning to a new thing or new person, which is Christ and God, right? And, and necessarily that requires then to turn your back on the others. So I'm thinking just in my mind right now, what we've been teaching to the church through Philippians, where Paul looks and he says, forgetting what lies behind, right? I press on. And we talked about what that really was referring to, but that's really describing that repenting where he's like, I, I'm now pursuing Christ. My, I've repented and I see Christ as my means and way of salvation and my life and my hope and my joy. And that necessarily requires all of my Jewishness that I used to cling to as what made me acceptable to God. I, I repent of that. But it's not that I'm repenting of that as much as I've turned to Christ and therefore that has to go away. Right. It just it has to be counted as rubbish. Yeah, he could have he could have forgotten what lied behind, talking about all that Jewishness. Right. And then turned towards Caesar. Yes. Right. But that would not be a proper the, the emphasis you're saying is on, on the what object. you're turning to. Yeah. In this case, the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ. That's yeah. a very good distinction. So theological issues on this topic at the very core of this is the need for man to have a new mind, as we're saying. And that's, again, built into the, the very meaning of the word uh, metanoeo, which, again, it's two words that meta prefix, which means new, and then noeo, which is mind, so new mind. And that gets into the, this is where the, how, how do I want to say it? How theology, you, we can break it down to its constituent parts. Like right now we're talking about repentance, but we're also talking about a regeneration. Yeah. Um, right? Because this new mind doesn't, we don't gin that up. We don't create that. This is a gift of God that he makes us new. Our life and our heart is changed. And necessarily we believe, and our belief then has an object, which is Christ, which then is a change of mind. I mean, so they're yeah. all connecting right. together, all boom, boom, boom. Yeah, that's that very important. Sense. It is. You like that boom, boom, boom? Yeah. yeah. Is that a technical? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's Hebrew. Okay. Um, at the, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, at the same time, for the believer, um, though initial repentance occurs, there's, there's also that continual need to then put on or be putting on that new mind. Uh, where there's a a mental renewal that's taking place. Probably the the big one is that Romans twelve passage. Right. Um, you know, it's slipping my mind right now. Um, renew your mind. Be transformed. Do not be conformed of, yeah, by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. Through what the spiritual service of worship. Yeah. Um, but that that's a continual process. It's not just 
I do this one time and then we're good. This is the Christian's life is defined by this constant renewing of putting on those things proper of the new man. Well, you have another passage, uh, Ephesians 4.23, and it speaks of that too, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So uh, Paul is always, Paul always, especially, get the, get your thinking, your mind, your heart right, and the life will necessarily follow. And what we oftentimes try to do is fix the lifestyle and never get the mind changed. And then we wonder why we're right back to where we're at. Well, it's because we haven't yet learned to think differently. Right. Um, in fact, in Romans tw- uh, 6, I remember when I preached through Romans, I preached all the way through chapter 5, and I think it's all the way to 6.11, that they're all indicatives. There's not a single imperative in there, no commands. It's all just simple facts. And as Paul just saying, these are true, and you need to understand that they're true. And it's not until verse 12 of chapter 6 that he then says, now therefore consider yourself dead to sin um, and alive to Christ, right? And then the next thing is that we no longer allow our bodies to be used as instruments of unrighteousness. But I remember I preached a whole sermon on verse 11 that it if you don't, you don't start with the physical, the externals. You start, it has to come with this mind shift where you realize, I really have died with Christ and I'm alive with Christ. And once that connects, then the life begins. Follows it. Yeah, it has to. Um, but but this is why theology, that mind. theology is so important. So important, and yet it's not in the minds of people, right? Yeah. So th- there is an intimate connection between repentance and faith. Um, because saving faith is a drawing of hope and life upon God and not on anything else. And that is the essence of what repentance truly is. It cannot ever be merely a mental acceptance of some truth. Um, rather, it's the complete reversal of a mindset and as you were, that attendant lifestyle, right. as we were saying. So to believe in Jesus as Lord, to believe in him as King or Son of God or Savior truly means that you can no longer tolerate anything else is Lord, King, or Savior in your life. And, and that's repentance. Everything else must go away. And so just as faith and belief is a gift of God, so too is repentance. Um, and yet at the same time, just as believe uh, is a command placed before man to obey, um, so also re- repent is the duty of man to obey. Uh, so there is human responsibility to this. Um, we know that uh, Luke 13, 3 is a good example, Acts 3, 9. And yet at the same time, it is still a gift of God. Um, Acts 11, 8, 2 Timothy 2, 25, those kinds of passages. Actually, it's not 8, it's 18. I, th- I thought that was wrong. Um, 11, 18. Yeah, 11, 18. Uh, 11, 8 says, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I'm like, Bam, oh. proves it. <laughs> Doesn't get better than that, right? It's and so I, texting at its finest. Right? Uh, but yeah, it's in verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And that's the thing is that when you see a person re- truly repent, it's because God is at work. Um, it's not your cleverness. This gets into the whole, gets into the methodology of evangelism, right? The the whole walking down the aisle, the mourner's bench of made famous with Charles Finney. Finney. Yeah. And all that stuff. It's that it's all up to you. You've got to convince the person. No, the power rests with the spirit. Um, the, the, the tool that he'll use is the gospel, but it will still be God 
doing it. But we are calling man to repent. The fact that they won't repent will be used against them on Judgment Day, that they don't want to repent. The fact that there will be those who stand no longer judged because they are repenters is because it's the gift of God. So then all glory goes to God, which is, I think, what makes the Reformed theology of salvation so glorious is you're constantly— Okay, I'll, I won't put you here. I'll just make me. Um, I'm always trying to bring it back to me um, and make it Matt-centered. Um, and then, But my theology keeps pushing me back away from there, back to this is all a gift of grace, God being merciful to me. Um, and I, th- I think that's what makes the uh, doctrine of the Reformed doctrine of salvation so beautiful is that it always pushes you back to the glory of God and and His kindness to you as a wicked sinner, you know, uh, you you right. never can brag. Well, I repented because you you know full well. Yeah. Um, well, and why I would argue why Paul then uses that in Ephesians one three through fourteen to then fill out his worship. Yeah, um, because it is a glorious reality. Um, in fact, there's a great sermon I heard by a guy named Scott Haithman. You ever hear of him? Yeah, yeah, and he he did doxology. Um, is born out of, I think it was, how did, yeah, he had, now I'm going to mess it up, but basically he was using verses 3 all the way down to 14 of Ephesians 1, that all of it is to the praise of glory. So that whole work of the of soteriological work of God is designed to, for us to then praise him or that's why it's doxological. Um, and so it's to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, mm-hmm. uh, of his grace, that kind of a thing. So, yeah, it's always is designed to show that. Anyhow. <laughs> so, and, and it, wouldn't it be interesting, though, that all, all those glorious things that are meant to move us to worship become the cause of dissension so often? So yeah. we're going to debate these things instead of understand them for what they are and let that then roll up into praise. And I would argue that that then also is the tool of Satan, right? Because he's always battling with untruth. And so it's it's very subtle there of to try to get us off of it. And now we're going to debate, well, which comes first? And yeah. well, I think, no, I believed. And it's like no Reformed Christian would ever tell you that you didn't believe. Right. No one would really, <laughs> if he knows his theology, would never say that you didn't choose God or trust God or turn to God. The question is why? Right. What what was yeah. the, where, where did the power lies? But yeah, now division comes, we don't talk to each other. And you, you made a statement yesterday when we were teaching on Philippians, that the two things the devil uses most is disunity and then false teaching. False, false teaching. And in, in my mind, I'm like, which is no wonder why it's always the worst when it's the false teaching causing the disunity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a double whammy. Well, yeah. And that's why at our church, we're so ruthless about it. You know, when we get those guys that we you've experienced that now, too, in your pastorate, uh, you know, the guy that comes in, he's going to. He's going to tell us how to, we really ought to believe. And, hey, would you read this? And, uh, you know, this will be really good stuff. And I think you'll find it helpful. And it's like, you know what? You probably want to go find another church because we just don't need people walking around trying to basically say what Satan said. Did God really say? Right. And it's like, yeah, he did. <laughs> so, so go, go. <laughs> uh, and we're all one mind on that i'm i'm thankful for that yeah. so that's that's repentance uh the next idea is a conversion 
And so we'll go back to the terms. Uh, the actual term in the Old Testament, again, is the word shuv. Uh, it's the same Old Testament term. Um, so obviously conversion uh, and repenting have a tight connection with one Which another. Which is why we're doing them together. Right, yeah. right. They're two separate doctrines um, or realities, but they really happen contemporaneously. So let me read a Baker's Dictionary of Theology on this. Conversion, then, is described in the Old Testament as a turning away from evil and then a turning unto the Lord. Because of, a man, because of man's evil nature, this change is resisted. God is the primary mover, although man appears to have a subordinate part. Individuals and nations are subjects of conversion. God uses the prophets as secondary agents in effectuating conversion. Those who refuse to turn to the Lord are punished with such evils as chastisement, captivity, destruction, death. Those who return to the Lord receive such blessings as forgiveness, freedom from punishment, fruitfulness of service, and life. Kind of what we were talking about with Jonah. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, so there's only one word yeah. in the Old Testament, and again, it's the same word, shuv, as we have for repentance. Um, so it just, again, shows how tightly connected they are. In the New Testament, because uh, Greek is more nuanced than Hebrew, so there's usually you know 20 words for every four words <laughs> in the Hebrew, but uh, the, the word group here that we're going to look at is the word strepho, uh, and the basic idea with this one is to simply turn from one thing but then to turn to another. And yet it is God who is the one doing that turning or doing that converting right. of a person. So Matthew 18, three, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Now notice he's not saying unless you convert, it's unless you are converted in the passive. So something's right. happening to you. Right. And in this case, it is God who is doing it. It also has nothing to do with infant baptism, though I've heard that it used. It also has nothing to do with um, the salvation of infants. Right. Well, the um, key word there is like, become yes. like children. Uh, right. Then you have apostrepho. Uh, this is the same essential meaning as strepho, but it's intensified with this prepositional prefix here of apa. Uh, so it's, it's just simply a stronger movement of turning or converting. Um, and examples of that you can get in the show notes. We have a few verses lift, listed there. Um, and then, of course, epistrepho, um, which is, again, just an, another form of the strepho word with a different preposition, namely epi. And here's what Freiburg says. He says, literally, this speaks of physical movement to turn around, return, or turn back. Figuratively, it speaks of religious or moral change, that is, to change one's ways. There is also a change of mind or course of action where a person comes to believe again, returning back. In the religious sense, it carries the idea of causing one to change. It is often used synonymously with metanoeo, which is that word again for repent. Um, so this doctrine, it's, it's, it's based upon the simple reality that the neutral man is hurling in a constant direction away from God, but toward evil and false gods. Um, the idea then is that God, from his divine mercy and from his divine sovereign grace, we would argue, causes the wicked heart to have a radical change of desire. It's no longer moving toward that wickedness, which is the course they're naturally on, but now it's they're moving toward God. And, and so don't stumble over that term, the neutral man, because the neutral man is an enemy of God. The you could also say natural man. Yeah, essentially. Maybe yeah, that fact, might be what tell it you what, I'm going to just change the notes so that we don't get another e email. Yeah. Natural. 
because it's, yeah, um, it, the emphasis is that this, and this is why we dealt with, before we dealt with the whole issue of soteriology, we dealt with the doctrine of man and sin. Um, natural man is naturally hurtling away from God, and then God intervenes in grace and converts us. Right. So, well, a lot of uh, these recent doctrines are contemporaneous realities. We've already said that uh, over and over again. It's difficult to separate them. Uh, so initial saving faith from initial repentance and conversion. Um, and I would not allow yourself to get caught up into major debates on those because you're trying to slice, theologically slice what the Bible doesn't slice. Christ. And a lot more unity would exist within the camp of the reform. I was going to say, that, that's, essentially, that's why there is a, so much debate on these, because yeah. we keep trying to do that. Yeah, and, and you can't, uh, because the Bible doesn't do it. Um, now, the Bible does speak of them as separate aspects of the same salvation, but they're aspects. So you're trying to debate aspects of something that's bigger than just any one of them. Uh, they're all wonderful truths, though, for us. Um, they're ones that you should meditate upon because the more you study them, the richer your thankfulness, your worship to God becomes. And also you begin to realize how great the salvation you surely possess. So these are the first doctrines when it comes to the issue of salvation. Uh, pretty soon what we're going to start to talk about is sanctification, which is that process which salvation works itself out. Before then, we plan to discuss what true conversion looks like, uh, because there's many, many bad practices and ideas on how a person gets saved, so to speak. That's where we get into easy believism or perfectionism and stuff. So next time we plan to talk about some of those things. Yep. And until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on both repentance and conversion. So don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell all your friends. Mm -hmm.